I'd like to welcome you to our study on church history, literacy. And we've just finished three years working through the Bible and biblical literacy, and now we've got an opportunity to pick up, in essence, where we left off with the Bible and try to bring the church uh, up through the time of Scripture into today. Most of these lectures that you'll be hearing are all given at Champion Forest Baptist Church on the Sunday morning time slot. Uh, maybe some slight editing to make them uh, uh, fit the format as uh, well as we can. Uh, this first lecture, however, for some reason didn't tape during class. So this is being taped uh, more exclusively for purposes of the uh, Internet presentation of these lessons. It'll sound less like a lecture uh, for a live audience and more like me, hopefully, uh, talking to you, talking you through uh, this first history uh, lesson on church history literacy. There is the PowerPoint presentation that is accompanying this, uh, which you're welcome to try and view as well, also off of the Biblical Literacy website. And I'll still try to follow that PowerPoint presentation as we work through church history literacy. Our first class is on setting the stage. And if we go back to our Bibles, in Matthew 13, 31 and 32, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed. Mustard seeds, of course, are among the smallest of seeds that uh, were planted and cultivated at the time, and yet the mustard seed itself would grow into quite a large tree. And that's what it was with the church itself. The church started the very small renewal movement within Judaism. Technically, we could look at the cross and see the church at that point in time as Jesus solitary on the cross uh, with a few, very few, uh, followers that were still uh, clinging to uh, some hope uh, of, of some type of a life together, um, though their uh, Messiah, their, their rabbi, Jesus, by all appearances to them, was in the process of a final death. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit came uh, and on Pentecost that the apostles finally understood what Jesus had actually been preaching to them for some time, and that was that his death uh, and the resurrection which they witnessed uh, was the start of something big and something new that would grow into the church or God's kingdom on earth. That kingdom then, Jesus says, is like a mustard, uh, mustard seed that grows into this tree. And what we see over time is the tree develops into where finally we have a, a branch that, that fits uh, at least us as we're studying this class. Uh, we'll see a number of branches that were pruned off the tree because they don't rightly belong on the tree of, of the church. And we'll see uh, a number of different branches that exist uh, today or, or have over time uh, where Christians have come to fellowship and understand God as best as they could. If we're to understand this tree and, uh, and approach the class as a tree, uh, I think it's important first to consider what the soil was that the tree was growing in. We know from another parable Jesus gave that if the seed falls in uh, on hard stony ground instead of good soil, the seed does not bear fruit at all. If it falls among the, the weeds, it gets choked out. If it doesn't have sufficient depth of soil, then it withers soon. Uh, the, the, the mustard seed of the church was one that was planted in just the right soil. If we consider 
Paul in Galatians writing Galatians 4:4 4, 4, he says that when the when the time had come God sent his son the church was not an afterthought the church was God's deliberate plan uh, to gather together a, a redeemed people washed in the blood of the lamb that uh, uh, would uh, be his kingdom into eternity. So, let's look at this growth. Let's look at the soil in which the the church was born, uh, for this first lesson at least, and ask ourselves uh, exactly what it is that, that came about. It's a fair thing to do to say, why would we even be studying church history? Don't we just need to study what's going on today? But I would suggest to you that what's going on today and the issues in the church are best understood when we see how those issues have developed over time. Uh, studying church history will also help us as we try and determine what matters are truly core matters of faith to the church versus matters of opinion that might cause some person to be on one branch as opposed to another but still belong to that tree of faith. Uh, when we study church history. We're going to be studying God's hand in time. We're going to be studying Christ and, and views of Christ and, and how the church has grown to understand Christ and his redemptive work better. And that will not only draw us closer to God, hopefully, but also closer to an appreciation for what he's done as we see our unbroken line of belief going back to the very apostles. If you're following along with the slides, you'll see a slide of a, of a map, and uh, actually several slides together. We start with a red dot on the, the map of the Mediterranean world that shows us in Jerusalem, for that's where the church started. But quickly the church starts dispersing as we read in the first church history book, which is the Acts of the Apostles in our New Testament. The physician Luke wrote a church history to go along with the history of the life of Christ, which is his Gospel of Luke. And when Luke wrote this in Acts, Luke provides us insight into how the church spreads, uh, not only from Jerusalem, but into surrounding areas. We know about the church uh, going up into Antioch. We know about from Antioch how Paul and Barnabas started taking mission trips and started going throughout the area of Galatia, uh, which is a, a region in south-central Turkey today, and going on up even into to the Ephesus and other areas like that. Uh, this was the spread of the church not only through Turkey, but as we follow scripture, we'll see the church spreading throughout Greece. We'll see the church spreading throughout Italy. We can understand from Scripture, though it's not directly uh, uh, stated, that Paul most likely took the church also into Spain, or the westernmost reaches of the Roman Empire. Uh, we'll also see uh, the church uh, clearly beginning Alexandria, Egypt, and, and over time uh, the church becomes basically uh, uh, throughout the world. As we go about this study, we're going to not only be looking at church groups, but we hope to look at art and architecture and how those were affected by the church and church growth. Uh, we'll look at music and how it was affected. Uh, we'll look at doctrines and theology, and we'll find uh, lessons on saints and martyrs and, and uh, heresies and, and orthodoxy and 
splits of churches, and we'll walk through the Reformation movement and bring this study all the way current. Uh, but we do begin looking at the soil. When we look at the soil, I want to divide into three different areas uh, some critical aspects to the soil, the preparation of, of the world for the church and why the church was coming at just the right time. Uh, the world itself was one where the Jews had inhabited Israel for quite a while, but in uh, 586 B.C., the Babylonians had captured Israel and captured Jerusalem, and the Jews themselves dispersed. Uh, they went uh, to a number of different locations. Of course, a lot went into captivity in Babylon, but even before the captivity, uh, out of a fear of Babylon conquering Israel, a number of Jews left Israel and Jerusalem and went down and settled in Alexandria, Egypt on the Nile. Uh, Alexandria became one of uh, the top locations for Jews outside of Jerusalem and Israel. Another location was in Rome where there were uh, literally uh, thousands upon thousands of Jews who settled uh, long before the time of Christ. In fact, the Jewish dispersion went throughout the Mediterranean world, and Jews as merchants, as uh, uh, commerce and bankers and, and tradespeople, uh, uh, these Jews went throughout that Mediterranean world. And when they went, they not only took their Judaism, but of course they took their Jewish scriptures. Those scriptures, in fact, several hundred years before Jesus, were translated into Greek, which was the common language of trade and commerce throughout the Mediterranean world since the time of Alexander the Great. Um, the, 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 taking the, the, the Jewish faith out to these corners of, of the, the known world, the civilized world, provided a ready bed of, of people who were waiting for the Messiah, people who understood that a Messiah was coming, people who understood that there was, as Deuteronomy 6.10 said, one God, and that that one God was no longer to be considered by any, a, a regional God, a God of just a region, but the one God was a God of the whole world. He could be worshipped whether one were living in Rome, or one were living in Jerusalem, or Alexandria, or Ephesus, or Athens, or wherever one might be. This one God and this spread of Judaism with its anticipated Messiah uh, truly did provide fertile soil where the church was going to be able to grow and establish itself throughout the civilized world. In addition to the Jewish dispersion, though, and the ready audience uh, expecting a Messiah from an international God, we've got to also look at the Greek world itself. Uh, outside of the Jews, there was a, a, a Greek world and a Greek civilization that had been spread by Alexander the Great uh, when he conquered the world. Alexander himself was actually from Macedonia, which is uh, considered northern Greece for our purposes. Alexandria grew up uh, with Greek philosophy and some of the best Greek philosophers as teachers. Uh, Alexander took Greek language and Greek culture and Greek civilization to the extent of the world, and that included those core uh, philosophies that the Greeks were famous for at the time. Going back to Plato uh, and Heraclitus and others, Greek philosophy had, had reached a point where the thinking Greeks 
understood that there was no logical consistency to the pantheon or, or the array of many Greek gods that, that mythology had, had handed down to the Greeks. The idea that these arbitrary and capricious superpower uh, beings existed in all of their folly and, and all of their uh, competitiveness uh, seemed uh, uh, logically inconsistent. And so the Greeks had reached a point where they recognized that there has to be something greater than, than man itself, some, some greater force, uh, and, and there had to be some kind of a unifying force to the, the world itself. What that unifying force was, they called God. Uh, they would also call it the logos, which is the Greek word for reason or logic or, or word. And uh, there was a lot that had been written on the, the logos. Uh, the Greeks and, and their, their desire to, to understand this one uniting force actually brought a lot of Greeks into the Jewish faith itself. Not that they ever converted and became Jews, but they were uh, uh, captivated by this Jewish concept of only one God because it was consistent with Greek philosophy. The other thing that was, was captivating for, for the Greeks by Judaism was the great history behind the Jewish faith. The Jewish faith was a, a faith of over a thousand years. And to the Greeks, it made sense that something that was true and accurate would also be something that was ancient. So you've got the Greeks, and you've got them fearing God and understanding some of God. Uh, you've got them being spread throughout the world. But you've also got with all of this, as part of the ripe soil for the church, the Greek language itself, because it was a language that was able to express not only historical facts and data, but it was also a language that was able to convey uh, the greatest uh, wisdom and, and sophisticated ideas that came as part of the, the Greek world. Uh, this was a second aspect of the soil that was, uh, made the soil just fertile and rich for the church to grow. In addition, though, to the Jewish being dispersion, the Jews being throughout the Mediterranean world, in addition to the, the Greek presence, uh, both in language and in thought throughout the world, the Roman Empire itself was a third area of soil that brought the church into great richness uh, uh, as far as its early growth. In the Roman Empire, which had stretched uh, from the city of Rome, obviously, throughout that area, there was what is called the Pax Romana. The Pax Romana, it means in Latin, the Roman peace. In times of peace throughout that civilized world, people could set themselves to their personal growth, to the growth of their families, to the growth of their faith, because they were not constantly at war trying just to survive and live. The Roman peace not only meant a certain level of personal peace for people, but it meant a good transfer of ideas because one community wasn't fighting another community. They were working together in trade. As a result, the Romans built roads, many of which are still around today and can be easily traversed. These roads allowed for commerce. They allowed for a ready exchange of ideas and people. They allowed for, ultimately, Paul's mission trips and, and other uh, Christian ventures to uh, find uh, a way to share the gospel with other people. 
The Roman Empire also established a great system of trade and currency, which uh, again meant there was a lot of movement of people from one area to another, and a lot of movement of ideas. Uh, we can see this not only in Acts, in the early church history we have in the Bible, but what archaeology has brought out. For example, the, the city of Pompeii was a city that was uh, devastated and destroyed by a volcano uh, in the, the late 70s, 79 AD, I believe. And Pompeii, as the archaeologists have dug it out, they've been able to find a Christian uh, cryptogram that uh, we've got slides on in the PowerPoint. If you read it, it reads across Rotas Opera Tenet Arepo Sator. If you read down instead of across, it reads the exact same, Rotas, Opera, Tenet, Arepo, Sator. For that matter, if you read it backwards, you, you have Sator, uh, you have starting from the bottom if you read it backwards, Rotas, Opera, Tenet, Arepo, Sator. Now, all of those words, any way you want to read them, mean the same thing. The farmer keeps agriculture going by hard work. In other words, if the farmer works hard, uh, the farmer gets a crop. But what's most interesting is if you take the rotas that goes across the top and the rotas that goes down the side, you take the rotas that goes down the bottom and goes back up the other side, though it's sator at that point. You take the in in the middle, tenet, and you are able to draw a cross not only out of the tenet, but you're able to take the sator part, all of the letters actually, and put them together around that center in, and you have the pater noster, which is Latin for our Father, the Lord's Prayer. You have also the letter A and the letter O, which is Alpha and Omega. And so you're able to form a cross the Alpha and Omega. Our Father, the Latin prayer. It's a, considered the first Christian cryptogram, and it's not only interesting for what it is, but it's also interesting because it indicates to us that the church was already present in areas outside of what we know biblically uh, during a time where the Bible had not even finished being written yet, and that's in Pompeii. Before we finish this lesson, it's useful to look at some pivot points uh, for the early church because we're going to see uh, from the, the New Testament to the, the next foray and, and the next few lessons into church history some, some key pivot points that change the direction of the church itself. The first pivot point we point to is the fall of Jerusalem. Somewhere between 68 and 70 AD, Jerusalem had been uh, uh, in rebellion against Rome and uh, Titus came into Jerusalem and conquered it. And when Titus did so, he destroyed the temple, he stopped temple worship, and he uh, 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 basically wiped out and annihilated a great deal of, of the Jewish faith that was built around temple worship there in Jerusalem. The Christians, history tells us, did not fight with their Jewish brethren. Uh, but rather uh, uh, left uh, out of an anticipation of what was coming down because of the, the prophecy Jesus had provided in Matthew 23 and 24. So uh, uh, the Romans came in 
they destroyed the Jews. And at the time this happened, the church really was just a branch of Judaism. Uh, it was a renewal movement within Judaism. The church was not considered anything apart from Judaism. And so, uh, uh, by and large, the church, as a portion of Judaism, uh, uh, really hit a pivot point. The Jews regrouped. They went to Yamnia, which was a nearby town. They rewrote their 18 benedictions. And uh, in those, they basically ostracized uh, those who followed Jesus as Messiah. Uh, benediction number 12 said those would not be considered Jews uh, uh, for worship or fellowship purposes if they followed the Messiah. And, and while up until that time, the church had gotten its main thought leaders, like the Apostle Paul, through the Jewish faith and the Jewish thought leaders, after Jerusalem falls and, Jerusalem, and the, the Jews divorce, in essence, themselves from the Christian church, the Christian church becomes much more a, a Greek or a Gentile, a non-Jewish uh, 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 group of people. The thought leaders in the future come not so much from the Jewish faith anymore. Where they come from the Greek thought leaders, the philosophers. A second pivot point that we have uh, that occurs in the last half of the first century are the death of the apostles themselves. Of course, the apostles had received uh, the word of Christ uh, in life, had received the Holy Spirit, and, and we find the apostles gradually dying. The, the last apostle to live is the apostle John. And uh, John wrote his gospel, uh, John wrote his uh, letters to the churches. Uh, John wrote the Revelation at a time where probably there were no other apostles left. Well, once the apostles died, this is uh, obviously a pivot point because the immediate questions become, who is in charge? What do we do now? Who's going to be running the church? What, 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 who do we go to for authority? When we have questions, who are we to believe? The Bible had not been put together and passed around for people, though the letters of Paul had been collected and were circulated, and certain Gospels were being circulated. But as a, as a, a finished book, the New Testament had not been put together. And there was a serious question among the churches everywhere of, of how do we follow Jesus? What is there for us to do? Uh, I think uh, most scholars agree that many in the church figured Jesus would return before John himself died, uh, and that there would always be an apostle until Jesus returned. John indicated in his writings uh, that that was not true, that Jesus only indicated John would be the last living apostle, not that John would uh, uh, actually himself live till Jesus returned. So we have... Uh, unfolding before us some pivot points that the church, a tree planted in great rich soil that's going to thrive, that within 300 years is going to conquer the Roman Empire. We have it at, at a pivot point as the apostles die, as the Jewish faith removes itself from Christianity, and it leaves us looking at our next week's lesson where we're going to begin to look at extra biblical writings. In other words, writings that are not part of the Bible itself and have a chance to, to start exploring how this church grew through these pivot points in this soil to where ultimately we are today. As we see this and as we work through this, we've got some points that we need to take home. 
Now, the first point is just the, the obvious point Jesus made in his parable, that God's people are part of God's tree. It's not man's tree. The church is not man's church. It's God's tree that God planted in soil that God had prepared, and we're honored to be in that tree. The second point grows from this first point, and that is it's God who nurtures, and it's God who grows this tree. Uh, we'll see mankind working fervently, uh, sometimes to build the tree up, sometimes to hurt the tree. But it is God that nurtures and grows his tree, and we'll see this through history, and it's an honor to be a part of, of God's work. And then the third point for whom we offer is that our holy scripture that we have is actually rooted in our faith. Ours is not a scripture that is uh, 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 um, a scripture that makes the faith. Our faith is present, and the scripture grows out of our faith. Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, is the basis of the body of Christ. And Scripture is is a, a, a writing that that shows us how the church is unfolding, that gives us insight into what the church needs to be, that shows us what Jesus did. But it is not the Scripture that's our faith. The Scripture itself is rooted in the faith. And then our final and fourth point for home as we close this lesson is that uh, we will embrace our history, we'll learn the good things that have happened in the church, we'll learn the bad things, we'll learn the ugly things, but through it all, we'll see Jesus Christ and the way his body has, has uh, uh, walked and accepted and glorified him, and those are the things that we will hang on to. Uh, we look forward to this study. I hope this is uh, uh, going to be fruitful for you, and if, obviously, as we go through it, if you have any questions or uh, anything like that, the website provides you an ability to email, and we'd be glad to discuss these points with you. God bless you.